Howdy, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. Love, love, love this company. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode. But now, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another roundup edition of On the Margin. Uh, today, uh, we are joined by special guest uh, Jeff Dorman um, and, of course, my intrepid co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. What's going on, fellas? All right. Thanks, cool. Jeff, for joining us. And, you know, just to set the tone, you know, I'm, I'm in the red room and uh, I'm sure people have seen the cartoon of, of The Shining, you know, the, the guy with the axe with inflation coming after uh, Chairman Powell. Uh, and I am where I, you know, I need the sock cam so I can like, take it down cam. here. But we I, need a sock cam. Yeah, I know. But 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 we're gonna do this. So I'm I'm wearing the Lord Rothschild pants. So I got the I got the blood in the street pants, and I got you know I am an outfit repeater. I have the crypto winter, crypto on ice. Look, we are we are in crypto winter. It ain't going away until spring comes and uh, people have to use it. And I, I'm getting a lot of hate on on Twitter over it, but. You know, prepared is better than just saying, oh, this is not happening. No, this is happening. Mm. And we'll talk about why it's happening. And it's actually going to get way worse. Mm. And it's I'm not gonna, I'm necessarily gonna this, I'm going to enjoy this conversation then because I feel the exact opposite. So this will be a good conversation. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So here's... Um, I was just telling Jeff and Mark, we prepared this whole slide deck for this. What I wanted to talk about initially was dispersion going on in crypto. Uh, basically, all the charts that I put together yesterday have been invalidated. Um, we're recording this on the morning of Friday, uh, January 21st. Uh, crypto is down 9%. So basically, every chart that I put together is wrong. Guys, I just want to get your perspective about what's going on right now. Like, frankly, so the narrative, just to kind of set things up, right, is that the Fed is beginning to tighten, right? So it's happening on two different accounts. We're now pricing in 100% chance of four rate hikes next year. There's a 50% probability that the first rate hike in March is going to be 50 basis points. People are very concerned about that. And perhaps even more concerning is this idea of quantitative tightening, right, which is the Fed not only tapering the purchases on its balance sheet, but actually reducing uh, items on its balance sheet as well. Um, basically, people are assigning a lot of the uh, turbulence in markets, both in the stock market, right? You see, I don't know if you guys saw Netflix yesterday, but that got pummeled. Peloton got pummeled, you know, down 20, 30 percent. Um, Mark, we've talked about this before, but basically a lot of the uh, COVID era darlings have done complete round trips, right? If you look at the charts. Um, so I guess, guys, just talk to me about what you see is going on right now. How related is the turbulence that we're seeing in the stock market and crypto to what's going on with the Fed? All of it. I mean, totally related. I mean, look, this this is uh, all interconnected, right? And it's so funny. I I find this really interesting. So, you know, when when the Fed was pumping money, mm -hmm. I mean, creating just incredible amounts of money. You know, I said it was hard for me. I was in an interview a while ago. I said it's even hard to say out loud that they created you know thirty nine percent of all the dollars in the history of the republic in eighteen months. It's now 50, five, zero, half the dollars that have ever existed in history have been printed since uh, March of 2020. And so when that was happening, everybody said, oh, that's great for Bitcoin. And look how Bitcoin's doing and look how great it is. Well, now they're talking about taking the punch bowl away. Mm -hmm. And I actually had people over the last month and people on Twitter try to make it a case that that was good mm -hmm. for Bitcoin. That tightening and that rising rates were actually good for Bitcoin. It's just nonsense. And so what, what really is going on now is a combination of so many things, mostly liquidation, right? This is like March of 2020. 
And it's not so much the liquidation of the levered Bitcoin traders. That happened in November, right? That was the 68 to, to 48 move. This is actually what happened in March of 2020. This is the liquidated pajama traders, right? We had the highest level of margin debt in history in the stock market. People were borrowing money for free and they were buying companies like Peloton and Zoom and GameStop. And, you know, I, I was actually doing my, my 10 surprises yesterday, Michael. And literally while I'm talking, someone's texting me. Oh my God, you're saying the Peloton, you know, literally the equity could be zero. It's down 25% right now. Hmm. And I, yeah, it's not me doing that. I didn't know that that was happening. But yeah, they, they have too much debt. People do what they do with exercise machines. They buy one, they ride it for a while, and then it gets sold to play it against sports. Hmm. Jeff, what do you think about all this? I'm still trying to get past the term crypto winter and what that even means. Um, there, there's so many... There's so many stale terms in this market and everything from Bitcoin dominance to altcoin to crypto winter. I mean, if crypto winter is a reference to 2017, there's literally nothing in today's digital asset market that looks anything close to what existed in 2017, except for Bitcoin. Everything else is completely new, completely different, has real revenue. Well, it's not a reference to that at all, Jeff. It's, it's cycles, right? Cycles like seasons occur in every market and winter applies to everyone. Okay, so in the last 13 months, there's been seven drawdowns of more than 20% in the digital asset market. Were each one of those a crypto winter? No. The, so what is, what is the difference? A winter is a, is a season, okay, like a, like a spring or a summer, and the long-term action of a market where there's accumulation or distribution, and there was, a, when, in spring and summer, there's accumulation and price rises, in winter, uh, fall and winter, there's distribution and uh, price falls. And we're in a distribution phase, not an accumulation phase. And it's gonna get worse as people are forced to sell what they have to sell as opposed to what they want to sell. Sure, I mean, but uh, I, okay. So let's, I wanna get to the Fed in a second, but before we get there, um, again, this is the seventh time in the last 13 months that we've had a correction of more than 20% across the digital asset market. If you want to have a better parallel to what's going on, you could go back to April, May, June, July of just last year, right? In April, Bitcoin went down, but the rest of the digital asset market actually went up, right? There was a lot of dispersion. Um, in fact, the whole first four months of last year, you had dispersion. Um, you know, January, DeFi rallied. February was mostly about centralized finance, FTT, BNB. March was mostly about social tokens, things like Chili's, Rally, um, you know, the rest of Web 3.0. And then in April was sort of the, the laggards that went up, which was your Dogecoins, your, you know, legacy Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum Classic and nonsense like that, right? April, but Bitcoin started going down in April while things were still going up. Then in May, everything caught up and, and fell, that, fell together, right? So you started to have the entire market start to go down. Most people kind of saw that coming because there was leverage building. So actively managed funds did a lot better than the broader market. Um, you know, the broader market was down anywhere from 25 to 35% in May. Then in June, we had that capitulation like we're seeing now, June and July, where, you know, I actually wrote a piece back in June talking about debunking all of the bear market theses that existed in digital assets back in June because the market had fallen about 40 or 50% from the highs. And back then, 
You had just like today, you had tons of despair, you had liquidations, you had everybody call, every macro fund calling for the end of the world. And there was 10 or 11 real theses back then about why the digital asset market was going to die. Everything from China is pulling out to regulatory pressure is coming to the Fed's going to be tapering soon to retail momentum is dead to there's no institutional interest and ESG is going to kill the market and MicroStrategy is going to be a forced seller and the grayscale unlocks are coming. I mean, there was, there was just nonsense after nonsense of digital asset bear theses. If you fast forward to today, you're looking at the exact same pattern, right? In November, Bitcoin fell, but the rest of the market did fine. In December, everything played catch up. The whole market was down 25%, including Bitcoin, but uh, most actively managed funds outperformed because, again, you could see this coming and you had hedges and things like that. And then in January, just like in June and July of last year, now you're seeing that big capitulation where everybody's throwing everything. GMO is out with literally the exact same macro thesis that they put out a year ago when rates rose in the beginning of the year. And then, of course, macro funds got crushed last year as everything reversed. The difference is, unlike in June and July last year, where there was 10 or 11 theses for why the market was going to go down, today there's literally only one thesis, and you already said it. It's the Fed. It's the removing of the punch bowl. It's money printer no longer going burr. So we're down to literally one thesis for why every risk asset on the planet is going down. And what I would argue is there's certainly going to be declines in the market. We're seeing one right now. We'll probably see five or six more throughout the year. What I don't understand is how every single Fed tightening cycle of the last you know, 25 years has been a three-year process where most risk assets actually do well during the tightening cycle. And it's the end of the tightening cycle where the Fed goes too far, too fast at the end, where you generally see risk assets fall. So what I'm it's trying to figure we're not, out- We're not in a normal cycle, right? This has nothing to do with normal, right? This is, this is like the end of the 1930s. This has nothing to do with the 70s. It has nothing to do with the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. Right? We've had emergency stimulus measures, right? the loosest stimulus measures, the loosest economic conditions in the history of, again, the Republic. And we've had it for coming up on 10 years. And it's, it, it's unnecessary. And the problem is, by doing that, you encouraged excessive speculation, excessive borrowing, and you pushed asset prices not to normal levels, right? We, we have asset prices that, like I said, Peloton yesterday, before it went down 25%, could fall 90% from yesterday's price and still be expensive. For sure. And, and this right? is not- an, And that's the difference, is when you have assets that are selling on average, here's the crazy thing, on average at close to 10 times revenues, that ends badly. The math is horrible for, for a, a leveraged economy globally, a leveraged market globally. Again, this is why Bitcoin right now is, is not the driver, right? All the Bitcoin people want it to be the driver. It ain't the driver. It's the tail and it's getting wagged. And the reason it fell so much overnight and the reason Michael's charts got blown up is it had nothing to do with Bitcoin. It has to do with a whole bunch of people got margin calls at 401 last night. They had to sell something. Only thing that's open, guess what? You're going to sell your Bitcoin. And this 100%. Is just, I, I, look, yeah. like I'm, a, I'm in 100% agreement with you on the overvalued areas of the economy are going to get sold out, right? And what is that, right? We've already seen K-Web fall 50%. That's Chinese you know, tech ETFs. We've seen things like ARK Innovation, which is a bunch of profitless tech companies for sure. You know, you could go down the list and find you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 different companies that have no revenues, no profits. Uh, 
and are going to get sold in an environment like this. And, and to, the, to your point as well, I think Bitcoin is just an extension of the risk markets. Right? I've been writing about this for literally 13 months now about how Bitcoin is really just a 24-7 VIX now. Where every single, you know, the, the, the flip side of everyone getting excited about institutional interest in Bitcoin is that, well, once you have institutional interest and Bitcoin is the only open 24 7 liquid market, it's going to be treated like a risk on, risk off asset. Now, long term, right, there's a long term tail where Bitcoin is incredibly valuable because of the protection of purchasing power. And we, you know, who knows when and if the fiat currency experiment ends and you're going to want to actually own Bitcoin uh, to spend rather than just to talk about in dollar terms. But in the interim, right, Bitcoin is basically just a, a binary option where every movement along the day, the day to day or the week to week to the month to month is really just reflecting a, a probability, either increase or decrease of hitting one of those two tails of Bitcoin either being worth zero or Bitcoin being worth a million dollars. In the interim, it's just a risk asset traded like the VIX. I get all that. What I don't want to say is that you can put a blanket on that's it for all risk assets because the Fed is raising rights. Because again, this is a three-year process of removing liquidity. There's a 1.6 trillion of reverse repo. There's more liquidity in the system there. The Fed today is still adding to its balance sheet. It hasn't even mm -hmm. started yet. Mm -hmm. So a mm -hmm. correction makes sense. But to act like we're in a three-year bear market now or a crypto winter or, or even a tech winter because of the Fed to me doesn't add up, right? If we go down this year, it's not going to be because of the Fed. The Fed is going to be a three-year process with fits and starts, just like last year when treasuries went from, what, 90 basis points to 180 basis points in the first three months of the year, and every inflation hawk was calling for the well, end of the world, mean, and every again, macro fund was selling everything. And what happened? It didn't happen right away. So treasuries rallied yeah. back from 180 to 130. The dollar stopped going up. Uh, equities started going back up. Digital assets went back up. So anyway, the, the, I'll just leave it at this. Yeah. Bitcoin 100% right now is going to follow everything that happens with the Fed and with macro. But Bitcoin is not the digital asset market anymore. There are now four viable use cases for digital assets, and three of them are not affected by what is happening right now. So we can no longer just talk about things like Bitcoin and the market. There are now different distinct parts of the market, and we have to identify that and understand that, that parts of the market will go up and parts will go down. Now, not necessarily every day, right? You're going to see a leverage flush once in a while, like we're seeing today, where there's forced selling. But over, you know, one month, three month, six month periods, just like we've seen over the last two years, there's going to be massive dispersion in digital assets, just like there is in traditional markets. I totally agree. And that's less level set. Crypto winner doesn't mean end of, of markets. Crypto winner is a specific term, okay, for your cycle. And we can debate whether people still believe in the four-year cycle. I absolutely believe in the four-year cycle. It, it's endemic to the nature of the beast when you have things that, that have these built-in uh, price adjustments, the halvings. So in a four-year cycle, you're going to have a winter period, about 18 months. And you're going to have a uh, summer period of about 18 months. And then you're going to have kind of two transitionary periods in between. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an 18-month period before you get into the next summer leading up to the next halving in 2024. And I actually do think all crypto assets, all digital assets are going to suffer uh, the same fate because I totally agree, right? And, you know, again, my big thing yesterday was, um, I do again, do these 10 surprises. And, and my, my surprise on Bitcoin was that uh, you know, last two years, my surprise was it's going to do way better than you think. Two years ago, it was Bitcoin is going to go up probably a lot. I didn't think it was going to go up 300% actually, but it's going to go up a lot. Last year, it was, it's going to go up 
But it's not for the reasons you think. It's going to go up because the dollar is going down, that the currency we, we value it in, right? Because one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, right? That, that's incontrovertible. But we don't price it in Bitcoin. We don't price things in Bitcoin. We price things in dollars. And so Bitcoin per dollar actually went up because the dollar went down by a lot. So this year I said, look, Bitcoin prices are probably, unfortunately, going to be you know, volatile and probably end the year lower. Nobody wants to hear that. But that has nothing to do with the opportunity. The opportunity is that's so meta in that, you know, the metaverse, which overused term, but the opportunity set for all these other use cases that you talk about, Jeff, is, is exactly right. But here's the problem. Those assets are even more overvalued than Bitcoin right now, like way more because people bought them with no understanding of what they are whether it's Solana, whether it's Avalanche, two assets that I think are long-term huge home runs. But going from pennies to $250 isn't logical, nor is it sustainable. And those levered speculators in those assets, not the true holders or the people who understand the network or the users, those things are going down. And, um... Can I ask you guys a question just about Bitcoin in general? Uh, and there's, there's a whole bunch of concepts that I want to break apart there. Um, but where, where would you guys say the market thinks Bitcoin is a value buy? Like, do you have, do you have an opinion on is Bitcoin a value buy at 30,000? Is it 40,000? Is it 20,000? I do. If you had to guess um, at where you think the market thinks Bitcoin is, is a value play at, where would you say that is? Two I, I different questions, that. though. <laughs> what, what does the market think and what... What do we yeah, think? Yeah, okay. Two-part question. <laughs> what do you think the market thinks it is, and where do you think it is? Well, I'll go first, because I think that is uh, absolutely an impossible question, because there is no such thing as Bitcoin value. Um, you know, to, to me, that's an oxymoron, hmm. right? Bitcoin has, uh, like I said, Bitcoin is a, is a call option. It's either worth zero or it's worth a million dollars. And anything that moves along that path is just a, a, a difference in probability weightings of whether or not Bitcoin is worthless or whether or not Bitcoin really is, you know, gold 2.0 or some sort of real store of value. So in terms of value buying, the only way to put any sort of a value assessment on there is to do a probability a scenario analysis, right? What is the probability of it going to zero? What is the probability of it going to a million? And weight that in terms of what it is worth. So if you have a very high probability of Bitcoin going to a million, uh, then you know, which which would put it in the ten twenty trillion dollar you know camp five hundred you know five hundred thousand to a million per coin. If you have a high probability of that and a very low probability of zero, then yeah, anything you know below three hundred thousand is going to be a value buy. But there's no difference to me between forty thousand and thirty thousand and sixty thousand and twenty thousand. Right? It's all incredibly, incredibly, incredibly cheap relative to the end game if you're right, and it's all incredibly, incredibly expensive relative to the end game if you're wrong and it's worth zero. So to me, Bitcoin, you can't put a value on Bitcoin, right? It is a speculative trading vehicle until it hits one of those two endpoints. The other parts of the digital asset world, which is where I would argue with Mark that there, there are pockets that are very undervalued. Um, there's other pockets of digital assets where I think the opposite is true. I think it's very easy to put a valuation on certain parts of it because you can actually look at um, you know, real metrics. So for instance, you know, Mark was talking about Peloton and you know, there's 20 or 30 other uh, stocks out there that have fallen from called 50 to 100 times sales um, that are now uh, trading down to five or ten times sales, which are probably still too expensive. But as I mentioned, you know there are four real success stories of blockchain-based assets uh, since inception. Right, one is Bitcoin as a you know potential store of value. 
Two is stable coins, and we've seen 400% growth in stable coins in the last year alone, from 30 billion to 150 billion. Three is decentralized finance, right? Everything from insurance to banking, lending, borrowing, trading, um, uh, exchanges, etc. Um, and then four is now uh, NFTs and gaming. If you look at all of those, there are real pockets of value and real growth, right? I mean, NFT growth was you know 8,000 percent last year in terms of volumes and interest. You know, DeFi exchange trading was up 500% in terms of volumes last year. And you can go down the list. Something like a Nexus Mutual, for but, example, but which is decentralized insurance. Well, here's the value. I'll, I'll go right here. No, no, no. Tell me where the value is in, in OpenSea, which is a fantastic business, at $13.5 billion valuation. Yeah, I don't think there's any value to OpenSea at $13.5 billion. I think that's crazy, okay. right? I mean, okay. they got a, but, right. I, but I will say that there is a lot of value in a gaming token that trades at two times price to sales with 600% quarter over quarter growth and pays a dividend yield, right? Um, you know, something like Axie Infinity, which even though it's got getting crushed, Axie Infinity had a $3 billion run rate revenue a few months ago. Now it's down to about a $400 million run rate revenue, but that's still a $400 million run rate revenue up from, you know, basically zero a year ago uh, with, you know, a, a 10 times price to sale in a growing industry with a real treasury that backs you and you're, you know, you're trading at two to three times book value. You know, Nexus Mutual is an insurance protocol. Nexus Mutual trades at 65% of book value, meaning if, if, if activist investors decided to liquidate Nexus Mutual, you would make 50% just on getting the assets back from the trust. You know, SushiSwap, a decentralized exchange that is growing you know, 500% year over year in terms of volumes, trades at two times price to sales and pays a 16% cash dividend. So my point is, yes, there is definitely a lot of overvalued parts of all markets right now. But you can't throw a blanket on it anymore and say it's all going down or it's all going up. And I think that's where I come off being differentiated is, you know, you would never say the ETF market is screwed. It's going down. You know, it's all going down. Right. Because inevitably, a smart investor will say, well, what do you mean? What part of the ETF market? Do you mean bond ETFs or do you mean commodity ETFs or do you mean uh, actively managed ETFs or gold ETFs or healthcare ETFs? Right. They all react differently based on what is packaged inside of that ETF, not the ETF itself. And that's where we are with digital assets now, which is the biggest difference between 2022 and 2018, is that in 2018, all of the digital assets looked exactly the same. They were all spinoffs of Bitcoin, right? They were forks of Bitcoin, or they were some unproven protocol. But now you have real sectors and real different token types where you can't say digital assets are going down because the question would then be, well, what do you mean? Are gaming assets going down or are DeFi assets going down? This is great because... If two people always have the same opinion, one is unnecessary. So we, we want to be necessary. And we actually don't disagree. We're actually saying, believe it or not, we're actually saying the same thing just in a different way. In that, uh, which sounds like an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> but yes, all assets can and do go down during liquidation phases. Right? The value stocks yesterday, oil stocks. Oil stocks, particularly the, the Permian Basin stocks, which are gushing cash for the first time ever in their history, went down yesterday. Why? Well, because when liquidations happen, you're not able to sell what you want to sell. You sell what you have to sell. Right? In March of 2020, what went down? Bonds, gold, and Bitcoin. What the hell? No, 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 no. Stocks are supposed to go. Well, yeah, stocks did go down. And when they went down, the margin calls come. Because the problem isn't the assets. Totally agree with you. Ave, Sushi, incredible long-term buys. Axie, love it, right? Been talking about it for a long time. But that change in run rate does change things particularly quickly. For sure. And the, the, the momentum around the game itself is waning for lots of different reasons we could talk about. 
Um, but I still like it and I still love the model. But the issue is none of that matters in short-term liquidations because everything does go down. Yeah. The value gets more value. The crazy gets just absolutely decimated mm. and crushed. And that's what you've seen with Zoom and Peloton and, and all this stuff. And so, look, I, I am, people say, Mark, you're always so bearish. I am wildly, wildly bullish, right? I'm spending my whole life now in the digital asset space, right? I mean, us old macro guys now spending all our time in digital assets. I mean, what the hell? That's, that's an interesting endorsement of the opportunity. But the, the part that I'm, I'm really struggling with here is back to Michael, your question. I, I actually will say that you can value any network. Pretty simple based on Metcalf's law and you can look at the number of users and you can look at the assets that go into a network. And, you know, Tim Peterson does the best and we'll get Tim on the, on the show sometime. And, and I think that, you know, everyone believed that the value uh, number in, in Bitcoin, I think the market believed that the value number for Bitcoin was, you know, in the 40s, high 40s, 45-ish was the number I heard a lot of people throw around. Anything under 45 is is a is a you got to buy it all. And I will argue, no, it's probably closer to 30 if you look at Tim's work and and you put the right decay factor in the Metcalf's law model, you get somewhere in that in that 30s range. Uh, what he calls that, what he used to call the never look back price, uh, and. The thing about networks that's really cool is there, I, I will argue, there is zero probability of Bitcoin going to zero. It is an advance in computer science, right? Today is the eighth anniversary of Mark Andreessen's uh, article in the New York Times, which if you haven't read, everyone should read. Uh, it's the eighth anniversary where he said, this is one of the most fundamental breakthroughs of computer science we've seen in, in a generation. And so... The likelihood of it going to zero is, is zero. And I don't think it's a risk asset at all. I think it is the next 5,000 years gold, right? It's digital gold. It is a perfect store of value. It is the future of money. It is the future settlement layer. I mean, one of the problems with FinTech, there's no tech. All these FinTech companies have been built, have been built on old technology, on SWIFT and all the legacy banking systems. It's all gonna migrate into DeFi protocols and onto the Bitcoin blockchain like Lightning. So I I actually think that, that you can value any asset. And uh, I think there's still an air pocket to come for uh, digital assets, mostly because uh, people are gonna be forced to sell what they what they can. Yeah. Guys, I have, I have one more question uh, on the Fed and central banking, and then I wanna move into how you see the market playing out for the next year or so. Like, Jeff, maybe we can um, dive deeper into your dispersion kind of thesis, because I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you as well. Uh, my, my one question is, um, and maybe this kind of flies a little bit in the face of the macro narrative right now, which is central bank tightening and risk assets responding. At the same time that we have the Fed tightening, you actually have the PBOC and other central banks loosening. So uh, the PBOC actually eased monetary conditions, right? Their real estate sector has been absolutely uh, thrashed uh, over the course of the last couple months. Uh, last night, let me just make sure that I have this right, uh, they actually lowered a pair of lending benchmarks, um, which, you know, we, you know, when I kind of look at uh, what are the different markets that are involved in crypto, you got to remember this is a global asset class in general, right? This, I know we all live in the United States and we think it's the center of the world, but in actuality, it is not. Uh, and you have a couple of different markets that drive crypto. So do you guys think, do you guys see 
um, actions that the PBOC takes in general as being um, as being uh, having an impact on what's going on in crypto? And if so, why you know why when when the PBOC cuts rates, do we not see why why is that not part of the narrative? Why do we not see crypto respond to that? Well, I think I think they are they are the tail. I think they are the dog wagging the tail. Right? I've been talking about this forever. That you know we're all arguing in the West mm-hmm. how to set up the checkerboard because we want to play a nice game of checkers. They're playing Go. They're playing a totally different game. Their goal over the next thirty years, actually now twenty nine years, they they passed this a year and a half ago, is to become a uh, prosperous socialism economy. Okay, which is a translation into dominant world superpower. That's their goal, Mm -hmm. unabashed. The previous 30 years, the goal was a harmonious rise. Not threatening, nice and easy. K-Web, great example, right? The reason K-Web went down last year isn't because Joe Biden got tough on China, isn't because Trump got tough on China. It's because the PBOC withdrew liquidity from the markets 18 months ahead of everybody else. And the stock market in China went down and there was some, it got exacerbated by the fears over the VIE structure and all that stuff. But, you know, one of our big things is this year, right, Chinese tech stocks, K-Web in particular, are going to be the best performing market in the world because, Michael, just as you described, they have reversed the liquidity. Liquidity drives markets. And when you're adding liquidity and you have very cheap assets, the PE, the PE, forget price to sales because most of those companies don't have any earnings, but the PE of Chinese tech stocks is down close to 10, okay? Because they actually have earnings. Tencent has earnings. Baba, one of the you know, best companies on the planet. Uh, JD, you know, Meituan, Ping, Pingdodo. I mean, these are real businesses. Mm. And they're, they're, they were, before yesterday, I didn't see yesterday, but bef- you know, through yesterday, they were actually up year to date when everything else in the world was down, to exactly your point, Michael. Yeah, I'd echo that. I mean, I think just because we're not talking about that today because of the fact that digital assets are, you know, the digital asset correlations as well as even like tech correlations, a lot of these are spurious, right? They they change quite a bit. I mean, I've I've been writing about digital assets full time now for four years. And, and, you know, like Mark, I've been in this, you know, Mark's been in this market a lot longer than I have, but I've been doing this for two decades now. Um, You know, I write everything because it's the only way I can retain uh, and, and, and be able to draw back time periods. And you know, I've probably written 13 or 14 different things over four years about the correlation of digital assets to something, right? The correlation to the dollar, the correlation to you know, money supply, the correlation to tech stocks, the correlation to gold, right? It changes all the time. In this period right now, for whatever reason, digital assets are, the, are an extension of the U.S. equity market, right? Maybe it's because of you know, uh, um, you know, Asia cracking down on digital assets six months ago and it took a while for everyone to fully leave. But you know, everything from the actual correlation of the instruments to even just the trading volumes, right? The trading volumes in digital assets for the last two months spike at the U.S. open and they spike at the U.S. close. That hasn't, that hasn't always happened, right? right? So why is that happening, right? Partially, it's because there's a lot more U.S. interest uh, in uh, digital assets relative to other parts of the world than you know that we've seen historically. Um, part of it is because there's still way more money you know over here uh, in the institutional investor world uh, who have been getting involved. Uh, part of it is simply uh, uh, you know because the Fed you know still has a, a a you know much bigger reach with regard to global macro investing. But there's no question that what is happening in other parts of the world with you know more looser monetary conditions and going the other way like that will have an effect. It might not have an effect today or tomorrow. But that will have an effect. Um, you know, we, we are not a, a um, you know, myopic 
industry, right? This is a global 24 mm-hmm. seven industry for a reason. It might get myopic at certain times, but it rarely holds. Um, so I tend to agree with everything Mark is saying. Um, uh, and I even agree, you know, going back to what we were originally saying about, you know, why we're selling off right now. I think, I guess the difference, I, the difference of opinion I really have is, is the length of this. I guess when I hear crypto winter, I think, you know, I think 2018 where it takes 18 months to unwind. I think mm-hmm. all of these crypto winters are basically one to two month cycles now. And then you're right back to the races because again, you have more money coming into the space than we've ever seen. You have fundamentals, uh, whether you're talking about sales or earnings or even just, you know, growth metrics like, you know, things that you would measure on using Metcalfe's law. They're all still up and to the right. And quite frankly, there's still nowhere else to go, right? At the end of a tightening cycle, you might start to see real rotation into bonds or you might start to see real rates get positive again. But right now, we are still, you know, 24 to 36 months away from there being real viable alternatives to equities and digital assets if you want to generate any sort of a real return. Um, and I, I just think it's it's just very premature to think that the you know the end is near um, simply because of the price action of the last few months. So you know, long story short, I think you know again the rest of the world is doing very different things than here in the U.S. Uh, and I think that will absolutely matter uh, for digital assets as well as for equities you know in, in Asia and beyond. No, and that's the incredible insight, Michael. That yeah, I told you, Jeff and I actually agreed on everything, even though it don't sound like it. Um, that. That's the incredible insight, right? Which is, yes, the the opportunity set is incredibly robust, and what is going to happen is a rotation from these egregiously valued assets, the Fangs mm. and, and Fang Man, right? If you include Microsoft, Apple, and Nvidia, I mean, owning Apple. A company that is not growing. Oh, they're growing. They're no, no, no. They they financially engineer their earnings per share by buying back stock. But their their net income is the same as it was six years ago. Just a fact. But no one wants to talk about that. They just look at the earnings per share number, and that is financial engineering. And so to pay thirty times earnings for that, stupid. Uh, and that will end. And so as people wake up and say, wait a minute, what do you mean, Axie? a company that didn't exist three years ago, has the same revenue, right, as Fortnite. How is that possible? I agree with that, okay? yeah. And wait a minute, Fortnite, which is run right down the street here at Epic Games, right, they get all the money, you know, whereas the community actually gets a share in the digital asset space in many models, not every model, but in many models, you can actually share. They're actually dividends paid. They're actually share of, of fees. And so DeFi is a, is a place where I'm wildly bullish, like Jeff, and that is, you know, in fact, so wildly bullish that people should listen to this podcast and not that other one that BlockWorks does. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Subpar, subpar. We're in competition, Jeff, with, uh, with, with Jason's show. Um, we're going to smoke him, though. All right, guys. I, I... Hey, hey, actually, Michael, real quick, can I just comment on what Mark just said here? Yeah, yeah, I think, absolutely. I think he's, he's hit on something really important here, right? It's like... You know, everybody in the world would agree that Apple has been some of a safe haven for most investors, right? It's in almost every single, every single investor's portfolio in some way, shape, or form. But as Mark is kind of pointing out, at some point that changes where people are like, wait a minute, you know, let me go look back over longer periods of time. And maybe this isn't the safest place to be because we're still getting a much higher growth multiple put on it, even though it's much more of a, you know, slower moving value stock now. The same thing is actually happening in digital assets. The players just aren't there yet, right? So in the equity market, for example, you know, and Mark's been allocating to you know funds for you know 20 odd years. In the equity market, you have your early stage venture investors, 
Then you have your you know, mutual funds, long short equity hedge funds, your growth equity funds. Then you have your retail investors, right? In digital assets, we're missing that middle group. We just have the early stage VCs, and then we have the retail investor. The growth equity guys, the guys who value something that trades at two or three times earnings or has a 10% you know, dividend yield, they largely haven't come to digital assets yet, right? Which is why you get this period where the VCs will buy something early, it runs up, retail will love it for a while, and then it just goes in no man's, for a while, no man's land for a while. But if you're an actual value investor, and we speak to these institutional investors all the time, we speak to the pensions, the endowments, the private equities, uh, the, the growth equity guys, the family offices, they're now coming into digital assets, not starting with Bitcoin like they used to, not starting with Ethereum or Solana like they used to. They're asking, where are the yields? Where are the cash flows? Where can I get 10% yield? Where can I you know, see you know, 30 or 50 or 100% quarter over quarter growth that has real revenues and real cash flows? And there's a lot of companies and projects in digital assets that have that, those characteristics. Those uh, types of investors just haven't quite moved into this market yet, right? When they do, that is, you know, we're talking about uh, hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars of new entrants into this market that is going to look at these types of assets as safe havens in the same way that they were looking at, you know, FANG stocks and healthcare stocks and bank stocks over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. So there is going to be that tectonic shift. It might not happen, you know, right now, but it is going to happen. Like that is where the value is in digital assets today. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. I talk to a lot of fast-growing crypto-native funds, crypto banks, exchanges, and the like, and they all tell me they have the same two problems. One, their treasury management setup sucks. They've got analysts wasting time and money on manual transactions. Two, they are not happy with their current security setup. They're sharing passwords, they're sending test transactions, and they're worried that their funds might be at risk. Fireblocks is a platform that solves all of that for you. They're a one-stop shop portal which automatically plugs into exchanges, trading venues, etc. They source deep liquidity and solve everything from day-to-day crypto transactions all the way down to complex DeFi strategy. And the best thing about Fireblocks is that they offer scalable solutions with industry-leading technology. Doesn't matter if you're a two-person crypto fund or a 2,000-person crypto exchange, these guys have you covered. And the last thing that I'll say about this company is that I have known them for years. They are a high-integrity team. They ship product like no other. I would trust them with my own funds. So click the link at the bottom of this page and tell them that I sent you. Very, very important that you click the link at the bottom here. Otherwise, they're not going to know that I sent you. And then how am I going to get credit? So help a brother out. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell them I sent you. Yep. So I want to dig into that because, I mean... I, one, of, one of the sectors that I want to get both your opinions on is DeFi in general, which I think is a criminally uh, slept on sector right now within crypto. But I want, what I want, want to ask you something first, which is um, I actually saw, Jeff, uh, you were going back and forth with this guy, Jordi Alexander, on Twitter. Uh, we actually just had him on the podcast last week. And I, I want to talk about the idea of uh, the importance of a strong Bitcoin when it comes to crypto markets in general. Right. Uh, I know his thesis. I'm going to try to sum up his thesis. He put out a great thread on this. Uh, we can link it in the show notes. But it's basically that you need a strong Bitcoin for the rest of crypto as an asset class to actually be strong in general. And he kind of outlines it as there's this, uh, there's this game theory idea, there's a tragedy of the commons type thing where basically there's a relationship that what first money tends to move into Bitcoin and then, but there's an idea that altcoins always do, do better, right, in bull runs. So you buy Bitcoin first, but then you buy these over, overly speculative altcoins. And to your point, Jeff, there probably aren't, isn't the investor base, right, to support, you know, the next stage, but whatever. Uh, and then everyone kind of realizes, like, why am I holding this Bitcoin? Like, I'm just going to go into these altcoins and everyone buys alts, then Bitcoins dip, then the altcoins that are correlated to the Bitcoin 
they dip even lower. So I'd love to get both of your perspectives on, because I, I agree, I think a lot of uh, what's driving crypto right now is actually not uh, Bitcoin. I think a lot of the innovation that I'm personally just a huge nerd for and really excited about uh, is outside of Bitcoin at this point. Uh, but I'd love to get your, from just a purely a market structure perspective, like how important is a strong Bitcoin to, to crypto? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think I think that thread. I, I think Jordy is incredibly talented, smart investor. I think that thread was so off base, and I think it is so outdated. Um, Bitcoin is a great asset. I own Bitcoin. Mark owns Bitcoin. We can both say it's going lower right now, but we both love it. It's a good asset. I, I think I ascribe the same zero percent probability of it going to zero. Like I think Bitcoin will probably end up at five hundred thousand or a million dollars a coin. I really do. But in that process of going up as much as I think it will go up. Bitcoin dominance will go towards zero, regardless, right? And by definition, it's almost like if you, you know, if you ever bet on golf, right? You know, do you want to take Tiger Woods or do you want to take the field? Tiger Woods might be great, but guess what? The field is going to win more times than not. Um, the field is growing faster than Bitcoin. There's going to be every single company in the world is going to have a token in the future, from Starbucks to United Airlines to Netflix. Every municipality is going to have a token instead of revenue bonds and go bonds. Every university is going to have a token instead of donors and, and boosters. You're going to have a token that can be redeemed for tuition one day. The, the field is growing so fast in terms of token issuers that Bitcoin dominance is going away. The term altcoin is going away. And Bitcoin's, uh, and Bitcoin's uh, 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 you know, as a driver of digital assets is going away. It doesn't make Bitcoin a bad market or bad asset, but you used to have to go through Bitcoin, right? If you were trying to get money from the traditional banks and brokerages pipes into digital assets, you had to go through Bitcoin, right? That was, what, that was the starting point. There isn't a single digital asset investor who's been around for longer than two years that didn't have to go, Bitcoin, go through Bitcoin first to get into this market at some point. That is now not the case, right? You can allocate directly into ETPs of other assets. You can go into stable coins. Uh, you can directly you know, allocate into you know, venture or liquid hedge funds. Um, there are so many different paths now. You, know, you, could, you could start you know, playing a video. You, know, you can play a game and play to earn, and, and you can farm. I mean, there's so many different ways to get exposure to digital assets right now that don't involve going through Bitcoin that in short periods of time, when Bitcoin goes down, other assets will go down. But over longer time periods, it just doesn't matter anymore. And you've, you've been seeing it for two years. I mean, let's look at literally just one-year returns from you know, January 21st to today. Bitcoin is basically flat. right? All of Bitcoin's gains last year came in the first three weeks of the year, and Bitcoin's done nothing since. DeFi is down 30 to 60%. It's been in a bear market for over a year. Um, uh, protocols, layer one protocols, are up anywhere from 100 to 500 percent, right? From you know Ethereum being the 100 percent ish, and you know your Solanas, Avalanches, Phantoms, Nears, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Terra Lunas, etc., being up way more. And of course, gaming and NFTs have been in a stratosphere. And Web3 is completely mixed because Web3 is kind of a catch-all generic term, and it's probably you know needs to be broken down further. We've already seen that dispersion, and has, has it's had nothing to do with the fact that Bitcoin was a roller coaster all year last year. So I, I think it's just we have to start treating digital assets the same way we treat ETFs, which again is just because something is packaged inside an ETF doesn't make them the same. What's inside the ETF wrapper is what represents the value. And the same thing is now true of digital assets. Just because something is wrapped in a blockchain-based wrapper, which makes it a digital asset, doesn't mean that it is the same asset. And the reason we get these high correlations and these high you know, leverage dumps and stuff like that is not because of the assets themselves, it's because of who owns them, mm -hmm. right? If you go back to the beginning of last year, when Bill Wang at Archegos Capital was dumping everything, most of those stocks historically had very little correlation to each other. But what happened when one guy sold them all at the same time? Went, all of a sudden, the went correlation down. went up. Yeah, right. The same thing is now true in digital assets. Because we still have the same market makers making markets and everything, and the same exchanges right. trading everything, and the same investors trading everything, 
that when, to Mark's point, you get one of these cascading liquidations, they all move together on the way down. And same thing on the way up, right? When you get a cascading liquidation on the way up, or all of a sudden there's more buyers than sellers and market makers have to take everything up together, you're going to get these short-term correlated moves. But the dispersion over any longer period of time, six months, 18 months, 30 months, whatever you're looking at, is going to continue. And Bitcoin is just not relevant to most investors who are looking at different pockets of this ecosystem. Mark, what do you think? No, again, I, I mean, I'm shaking my, I'm nodding my head. I'm not, I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, that, that is, that is exactly the, the point. And um, I really don't have much to add. I'll just reiterate everything that Jeff said. But the, the one little thing I would add that, that isn't about the, 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 the primary point, which is back to Jeff's point about so many pockets of, of value and inefficiency and opportunity, Again, totally agree. And I talk about this all the time. Winter is not a horrible thing. I like winter, right? I like going skiing. I think that you're out in the <laughs> mountains right now, Michael. And I love activities in the winter. And winter does something necessary. It kills the weak stuff. And the problem, in my mind, since the global financial crisis is globally in the West, not so much in the East, but definitely in the West, we became participation trophy economies. That everything's good and everybody wins and it doesn't matter if you're a horrible company, we'll still give you money for zero interest. That's a bad plan. Bad companies should die. Bad projects should die. Bad coins should die, right? And, and, I, and I don't mean that like go out and shoot stuff randomly. I mean, if... If it's bad, don't prop it up. Don't let it be draining oxygen from the system and draining attention from the system. And that's, that's where we are. In fact, some of the best investments, not some, the best investments I've ever made in my career. And you know, Jeff is not, I'm just old, right? I've been around a long time. And, and the reason I've been through a lot of cycles and 2002, right? The depth of the recession, after the collapse of 2000, you know, Amazon's down 91%. Just think about that for a second. Amazon stock down 91%. And everybody's like, you can't do venture capital in a bear market. You can't do venture capital in a recession. We invested in venture capital fund that did a startup airline called JetBlue. Mm. We made 20 times our money. That was great. So you can do really good stuff if you find really great founders. The founder of JetBlue Airlines is a genius, mad genius. Uh, did the same thing in Brazil with Azul. And you can find really, really talented people to back in any environment. And the nice thing about the, the winter is nobody else wants to go outside, mm. right? So go outside, you know, dig around in the snow, find a few acorns and uh, save them for the spring, plant them. And you make you know big oak trees. It's like that little guy in Ice Age. Uh, all right, I've got uh, we got ten yeah, minutes. Exactly. Here. I want. I've got. I never thought of myself as that little guy in Ice. It's Age, exactly what I we're like. talking about. Yeah, that's a nice visual for everyone. All right, we got ten more minutes here, and I want to get there. I've got questions I really want to ask you guys. So when I was actually when I was putting these charts together yesterday, I was just reminded about just how early we are in digital assets because I was trying to like uh, find indexes indexes for sectors, and I was like, Jesus Christ, none of these things exist. That's why you guys got a whole bunch of different pictures of bite. There's like the MVI, right? Shout out to Index Co-op, who's actually doing a pretty good job with this, right? 
there's like the MVI, the metaverse index, right? They've got the DPI, the DeFi pulse index. But in general, it was really hard to like pull out distinct sectors. And there's still arguments over how we should even have different sectors in crypto. But, um, you know, my, my question for you guys is, A, what are some of the sectors that you think should outperform? I want to I wanna deep dive on DeFi uh, specifically there. And then do you think the value in active management, let's say, in crypto in 2022 is going to be dispersion by picking the right sector? Or is it going to be by picking the right project within that sector? Because one thing that actually did surprise me a little bit, these aren't apples to apples comparisons. It's not totally fair. But like when I, when I looked at like the top five DEXs by volume, right, you have Sushi in there, you've got Uniswap, you've got Curve. And actually like Curve, I, this, I chart crime, right, Mark, there's this very specific moment in time, but Curve has drastically outperformed uh, some of these other exchanges. And I know they've just done their VE thing, which is, you know, uh, you know very exciting at the current moment in time. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty interesting to see, actually. Basically, in every category that I drew, there was like one big alpha performer. So my question to you is, do you think alpha is going to be generated by picking the right sector? Uh, if so, which sector? And then, or is it going to be done by picking the right project within each sector? So three-part question. Sorry, I cannot do one-part questions, apparently. <laughs> sure, well, I'm, I'm happy to start here. Um, you know, to, to start with, you know, there's a reason why active management has destroyed passive management in digital assets, right? It's that to, in order to do passive, you have to have a rules-based index. To come up with a rules-based index in a market that evolves every two months is almost impossible. By the time you actually launch it, it's already obsolete. Um, it'd be the equivalent of like creating a tech index and then saying, you know, we're just not going to include social media or Netflix or any of these. You know, it's like, well, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? You have to evolve as the market evolves. And the passive indices, by definition, can't do that. So it has been tough to create these indexes um, because they just don't actually do what they're supposed to do. Um, that won't be the case forever, right? Eventually, passive will probably outperform digital assets like it does everywhere else. But in the you know in the early '80s, active management uh, in you know in high yield was a big deal, right? Active management in the equity market in the you know, late '90s, early 2000s was a big deal. You know, this same thing. We probably got five to ten years here where active management and digital assets will continue to massively outperform passive. That being said, to your point, it is very hard to figure out, well, what are these different sectors? What are these different token types? Um, you know, shout out to my own marketing team. If you go to the ARCO website at AR.ca, we actually did a, um, a, a pretty deep dive um, uh, topography, basically, uh, uh, in terms of mapping out exactly how to think about the digital asset landscape in terms of, you know, looking at different token types and issuers and, and how they accrue value in sectors and things like that. Like, you know, it's very difficult to... Um, uh, to have a, a sense of where to look in this space if you don't even know the starting point. Right. So, um, you know, I think that a, um, in terms of where I'm looking today, I actually think it's going to be less important to pick the individual winners mm. and it's going to be much more important to pick the thematic uh, areas correctly, right? You, you know, you may obviously have a winner or a loser within a sector, but it's much more important to um, get the overall theme right. So, for instance... Uh, uh, what we're looking at at Arca right now is, you know, we still believe in DeFi, but not all of DeFi, right? There's pockets of DeFi we really like, which is decentralized trading um, and insurance. Um, we think, you know, given all the hacks and all the risks involved in, 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 in uh, uh, DeFi, that having proper insurance is really important. But we're less interested in asset management, and we're less interested in um, uh, lending and borrowing just because it doesn't actually accrue the value. So I think, you know, finding those pockets within DeFi are going to be really important. For instance, I actually think um, structured products is going to be really interesting three years from now 
but not today, right? There's a variety of different reasons why tranching risk doesn't make sense today, largely because it's the opposite of the traditional world. In the traditional world, everybody wants the triple A piece and the triple B piece, and nobody wants the equity slice, and that's why the sponsors basically eat it themselves. In digital assets, it's the opposite. Everybody wants the equity slice, but nobody's there to buy the triple B or the triple A slice because nobody wants 1% to 2% yields, and there's no credit ratings to allow the insurance companies and those who care about ratings mm. to come in. So structured products is a part of DeFi, for example, that we wouldn't be buyers of today. Um, you know, similarly within, you know, like Web3, I think generically it's hard to say I'm a Web3 buyer, but specific parts of Web3, like we're really big into data and file storage, right? Our weave has been a big investment of ours for a long time and still is. Um, we're really big in the idea of, uh, uh, you know, B2C uh, and consumer within uh, Web3, so things like, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, you know, things like Helium, for example, which is a big project and could certainly fail, but is doing a very big thing in, in the TMT space. Um, you know, we're also really interested in the digitization of sports and celebrities, right? So this idea of, um, you know, the internet has connected people to their favorite, fa to their, fa to their uh, favorite celebrities, favorite athletes, favorite sports teams, but there's never been a way to really connect with them in a monetary way. Well, blockchain has solved for that, right? So things, um, you know, whether it's Chili's or Rally um, or some of the newcomers coming up, this idea of being able to directly connect the fan experience to uh, who they care about uh, in a monetizable way, I think that's a theme that you really want to be invested in. Um, you know, and again, I, I would say that, um, uh, actually, the, I guess the last theme that I'm really interested in is anything with rewards, right? I, I think this idea of rewarding your early customers is so important, right? We've seen it largely in DeFi, but now you're seeing it in gaming as well, and you're going to see it in, you know, other things. Like, for instance, there, there's certainly going to be a winner in the healthcare category soon, where it rewards you for, you know, doing certain healthy exercises, right? And the insurance companies will probably subsidize that. Um, but anything that involves rewards, where you are, are getting uh, paid for doing some sort of an action, um, I'll, I'll take a quick aside here. You remember when Facebook solved the growth story and they said like there was a quick, there was an easy formula to what made Facebook work. Everybody who followed 10 people or liked 10 posts was, was likely to be a, you know, a, 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 a customer for life, right? Well, you didn't get rewarded for doing that action. You were just, they were just hoping that they could get you to do that action. Well, now with blockchain, you'd be, you know, once these companies and projects figure out what it is they want you to do, you are now going to be rewarded for doing that, right? And that is the biggest difference right now between the equity market and digital assets, right? If I was an early Amazon Prime member, I got all the benefits of Amazon Prime, but I didn't benefit from Amazon's share price going up by being an early Amazon Prime member. Mm. If I'm a token holder, I do get both now. I get the benefit financially from this project working while still getting the same member benefits for being early. And that reward environment, regardless of what sector, is going to drive returns in digital assets for decades. Yeah, but, the, um, so I Again, the, the ownership era is, is upon us. And the technology, the evolution has enabled so many great things, right? We're using TCP IP right now to communicate in you know, 3D, uh, digital quality, HD. Um, I still don't love that because I have a face for radio, but Mark. Uh, I, Mark always says this, and then the comments of the YouTube section are like Silver Fox, <laughs> Silver Fox. Yeah, you're so nice. Uh, you're so nice. But, they're in there. But I I, I appreciate that. Um, but it, it's it's interesting in that the technology, you know, in the in Web One, all the gains went to the pipes, the infrastructure, and and the big companies, the Cisco's and the Microsofts, and 
and the Dells and, and the people who were you know, getting us to have these machines that we're, we're playing with. Then Web 2, uh, interestingly, was really, uh, and that was a lot of wealth. I mean, there was a lot of wealth created in Web 1. Web 2, way more wealth, like orders of magnitude more wealth. Um, and it was really about these, these monopolies that basically took your asset, which is your attention, your time, your, you know, photos, your, your likes, your whatever, your actions, and monetize them themselves by selling your data to advertisers. And pretty good business. Now, that whole transition into Web3 is going to be a orders of magnitude bigger opportunity. But the participants are going to own it. I mean, why do I use the Brave browser instead of every other browser? Well, because I get paid for my attention. I don't get paid a lot, but I get paid for my attention. And that, you know, I, I, I say this all the time, like Best Buy, right? When I drive by Best Buy, my phone should light up. She say, oh, Mr. Yusko, we love you. You are our favorite. We've got all the stuff you looked at last week. It's all ready. It's boxed up. You get 15% off if you come in right now. And they should never spend $1, not $1 on advertising mm. to me because they don't have to because I'm, I'm addicted to Best Buy. And there are lots of products and services like that where whether it's Activision. Activision just got bought on Monday for $70 billion. Yeah. Who won? Investors and you know, average people, mm -hmm. you know, most people in their index fund because they didn't really pay attention to it because they thought it was a shitty stock. But um, did the users of the games or the players of the games get any of that money? Hell no. Is that going to change? Oh my gosh, unbelievably going to change. And you know, whether it's you know, shout out to Gabor and, and Pointsville and, and what he's doing. Uh, interesting project and, and a whole bunch of other play to earn things. This wave of innovation around participation, ownership, community, social tokens. Uh, you know, listening to Timbaland talk about what he's going to do with his ape Congo, right, is amazing. Now, can there be 10,000? bored ape characters? Nope. Nope. You know, someone tried to say, well, it's it's like a Stan Lee came down and said, hey, I got these characters. Do you want to buy one? That's what, that's what bored apes is. I'm like, no, it's not. Because Wolverine is different than Spider-Man is different. You know what the number one skin in Fortnite is right mm. now? I don't. Spider-Man. Oh, really? Spider-Man. Really? Like, yeah. the crossover of that is incredible. Marvel. I remember when Marvel, right? I remember when Icon bought it and got lambasted saying, oh, you spent all that money for comic books. Are you an idiot? It's the worst investment ever. They made more on the last Spider-Man movie than he paid for the whole company 20 plus years ago. It's like a pretty smart guy. One movie. Yeah. So it's... And so, but I don't think the bored apes are different enough that they can each have their own ecosystem like a Spider-Man or like a Wolverine or, or like a Captain America. But we love characters. People love characters. People love storytelling. They love content. And look, the reality is, this is not necessarily a good thing. We are becoming a global society of entertainers. Mm. Right? We don't make stuff. We entertain each other. 
right? We go out to restaurants, we go to movies, we play video games, we listen to podcasts, uh, we entertain each other. And that's cool to a point, it's cool to a point, but um, somebody has to make the protocols and the projects and the, the rails on which the rest of us create. And the fact that 35% of my son's generation, the 11 year olds, want to be a YouTube influencer, that's their goal in life, 35%. One out of three kids, that's their goal. They want to be that kid that unboxes toys and made $26 million. I mean, are you kidding me? Well, that, that doesn't toys, sound bad. $26 million? That sounds pretty good to me. I see why they <sighs> want to do it. I'll tell you, I, 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 guys, I, I know we're out of time here. I, I really wish we had, one day, Mark, you and I will get enough time to go through the stories, but just everything that's- I know, I know. I know. We, ne we, we never I'm going to stop even saying that because we never get to it, but- um, well, especially when we have a guest like Jeff, who I know I could listen to all day. Jeff, this was great, man, having you on. I, but but I would have loved to get your opinion on just like the whole corporate verse thing that's happening. I mean, Facebook, uh, you know, moving in, and I mean, I don't know if you guys saw their NFT announcement and everything. I'm with you on that, man. 18 months, biggest villain in crypto. The idea that a metaverse or the metaverse, because the the idea that the metaverse will be owned by any one corporation or it'll be a place. The metaverse is a point in time where your digital life and your real life come together. And it will be transcendent, not, okay, this is not the Microsoft intranet. The internet is better. The metaverse, the metaverse is better. I'm with you, but don't you think Zuck doesn't feel like that? If I was sitting in Zuck's shoes, I wouldn't feel like that. I'd be like, there are 20,000 devs in all of crypto in general. Uh, you know, my company, the market cap of my company is comparable to this entire asset class. I've got 3 billion users. I am the metaverse. You know, that's how I think. Of course was, he thinks that. I was of course he thinks that. <laughs> yeah, and, but, and more power to him for thinking that. But I mean, look, there, there, there was never meant to be one singular metaverse, right? The whole premise of metaverse, which is actually, uh, I believe it's a, a sci-fi term from a 1992 a novel called Snow Crash, yeah. uh, which obviously as a result leads to ambiguous definitions of what metaverse is. But the whole idea of it is that it's an interoperable digital economy between multiple section, uh, uh, social networks. Mm -hmm. So trying to pigeonhole uh, th this entire economy into one metaverse creates an unnecessary consolidated point of failure, which is you know the exact opposite of what we're going through going for for Web 3.0. Um, so you might see some consolidation, you might see more corporate brands getting in and stuff like that. But the, the reality is, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot of different metaverses, and it's going to be a seamless uh, experience going between them. It's not going to be one place where you go. I mean that that's. You know, that, that is completely against the entire ethos and spirit of what is trying to be built here and what this technology is actually uh, for. So I think on the positive side, the rebrand of Facebook to Meta was a big boon for awareness. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's going to bring a lot of investment dollar in. It's going to bring a lot of corporate brands in, influencers, yeah. analysts, companies, etc. Um, but, you know, a centralized Web 2 version of a metaverse uh, uh, you know, is just not offering the same kind of advancement of, of what we can do uh, in more of a uh, you know, creator economy, Web3 type economy. So I think you know, for, for, for me, what's really exciting about this entire you know, theme is that instead of building on top of old rails, which just masks the problem, uh, we're actually building completely new rails. And you know, as a result, you're going to have a lot more experimentation, a lot more cool things happen than what a you know, corporate entity with you know, a board of directors and shareholders and uh, is allowed. For example, like you'll never see Meta put a casino into their metaverse, right? That's just a line that they won't cross. Well, you're going to see tons of casinos popping up everywhere else. 
Um, you know, so, so I think these decentralized metaverses and multiple metaverses on these new Web3 rails uh, are, are going to have permanent and undeniable advantages to their counterparts just because they're not beholden to pre-existing structures. I'm with you, by the way, guy. I completely agree. I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of how honestly I would be thinking as Mark Zuckerberg. And what has like, just astounded me, frankly, is the amount of like positive sentiment. Like I saw this tweet like, oh, you know, uh, Instagram has rolled out NFTs or Facebook. We've won. It's like, I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I don't see it as being, I mean, I see it as being, I agree. I think Facebook rebranding themselves as meta, that's like firing the opening shot, just like they did with Libra and stable coins, frankly. Mark, you and I have talked about this before. They announced Libra and like, you know, stable coins were at $4 billion in market cap. And, you know, 18 months later, they're at $140 billion. And I'm not saying that was all because of uh, Facebook, but they certainly fired the opening shot. Guys, we're already over time here. Thank you so much. This was, uh, we didn't get to any of our stories, but honestly, you've given me a lot to think about. You, whenever you see me going like this, that's just me thinking about what you guys are saying. Um, so thanks, uh, Jeff, for coming on. This was a ton of fun. And Mark. Favorite hour of my week, man. Every single week. Uh, ah, yeah. the same. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, Mark, great speaking to you again. Michael, thanks again. Absolutely, guys. Thanks.